God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. May God grant you pardon and peace, knowing that you are absolved of all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. To read now from Joel chapter 2, a passage you may never have read or maybe just read over briefly once while, while doing a through the Bible plan. It's uh, going to be verse 1, and I will read all the way through verse 13. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them like a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Now, one thing I hate is calendar conflicts. Stressful to me. Whether it's I scheduled something and then find out something else is happening, or someone wants to schedule something and I've got something on the books. We had this year a thing where there were two funerals supposed to happen at the same time. Last year we had a much uglier thing where there were two weddings that were supposed to happen at the same time. And I really usually dislike it. And of course this year we have a conflict on everyone's calendar in that tonight is both the eve of Ash Wednesday and it is... Uh, the evening of Ash Wednesday and, and the evening of Valentine's Day, if you didn't notice. Uh, and it's, to me, kind of the ultimate showdown of Jesus versus Cupid. Who will come out on top? Probably Jesus, in that Cupid is just a chubby, naked baby with wings. 
But what's weird to me is I thought, like, when's the last time did this happen and what did we do? Because we moved the time of the service and we did some of these things. And the fact is, it rarely ever happens. In fact, even though Lent usually starts about the same time in the same neighborhood, this hasn't happened since during World War II. It's been 83 years since this actually, no, 63, not 83, 63 years uh, since this happened, 1945. Uh, was that was that 73? I should have done my math before I came out. See, if people come at 7, I'll have that all worked out. 73 years. We haven't had any kind of uh, experience with this. There's no precedent. Anyone who was in ministry in 1945, if they're still alive, they're done, right? They're not pastoring anymore. Maybe they're preaching once in a while. I think I've seen a couple of those sermons, but they're probably... They're probably no longer here to give us their wisdom. And so I started looking at news stories about, about this phenomenon, especially since also this year, Easter's on April Fool's Day. It's the kind of thing you think, what are the odds of this sort of stuff happening? It's uncharted territory. And especially in, for example, the Roman Catholic Church, where this is a very big deal that you follow the special rules. It's one of only two days in the church calendar where uh, fasting and abstinence are absolutely mandated. There are other you know, prohibitions and things throughout Lent, for example, eating meat on Fridays and that sort of thing. But Good Friday, Ash Wednesday are the big ones, these fast days that must be observed. And now it's colliding with kind of the opposite isn't it the most, think about Valentine's Day for many people, it's all out. It's the most decadent time, it's the, the richest food. You've got candles burning, you, you've got champagne and silk and rose petals. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got fasting and sackcloth and ashes. There's no music at an Ash Wednesday service. At least would be something. Valentine's Day, there's probably some music. If you're at a nice restaurant, what movies have told me is there will be that like da 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 Or if it's more intimate, Barry White or something, whatever, you do you, I don't care. Here, nothing. Not even like a nice song where you can, I feel sort of happy with this, and even though I know we're going to talk about the fact that I am going to die, and that's why we've gathered together. Nothing. It's stark. And, and there's quite a contrast there. And, and as I was looking at the news, there was... Uh, a lot of tension about what people would do trying to stay faithful to, especially the tradition that mandates this. It says you must, you must follow these, these particular rules. Some people were saying there are restaurants that had come up with particular fish dishes that would, that would fit into the observance of Ash Wednesday. And they're very delicious and there's, there's no wine pairing and there's, there's no dessert. And, and so people could come and, and kind of work the two together. Uh, there, there's... Uh, there was a whole big push by a number of bishops uh, urging people to move Valentine's Day back one day so that it would be on the 13th, Shrove Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, whatever you're going to call it, a day when you know it's already about conspicuous consumption and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and if you wanted to do that last night, a little side table in the corner with some pancakes and candles, we would have been okay with it, but it's too late now, and now Lent is begun, and here we are. And so the question, as far as I could tell, there were really three basic answers that were offered how to deal with this overlap, this calendar conflict. One was insist 
with all the authority of the church in its hierarchy that you not forget and that you not compromise and that you follow the rules. Second was to kind of just give up and concede, which it seems some churches had done because it's, you know, Valentine's Day. We're not going to have our usual Ash Wednesday service. It reminded me a bit of like on Super Bowl Sunday, some churches are just like, you win, world. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. And thirdly, it would be to compromise somehow to, in a way that brings the two together. And I actually read about a couple of churches where they were putting ash hearts on foreheads instead of ash crosses. And I'm sure that the teaching backed that up somehow with the love of Christ. But yes, my response was exactly what your murmuring response was just now when I read about that. But this has not always been what Valentine's Day was about. There was a time when the two things wouldn't have seemed like they were at odds at all. Uh, there was a time when Valentine's Day was just a regular feast day. And yes, a fast day and a feast day are sort of at odds, but it was a religious holiday. And it was actually named after two different, and this is quite a coincidence, two different saints' Valentine. One of them, Valentinius or, or Valentine, was a priest during the reign of Caligula II. And uh, Caligula had nullified all engagements and forbidden all weddings in order to grow the army bigger. Because there was built-in rules about once you got married, you got a little time when you didn't have to go out and fight and all this stuff. So it was like, all right, no one's getting married. And there was this priest, Valentinius or Valentine, who in secret would marry people anyway. And he continued doing this until he was discovered and killed February 14, A.D. 270. Early, early church. Another priest, also named Valentine, also martyred on February 14th, albeit a different year, uh, was uh, killed for helping imprisoned Christians. Uh, and there are some miracles that have been attributed to him and this sort of thing. In any case, yes, it was a feast day, but it was celebrating men who gave up their lives and were willing to risk it all to follow Jesus. And that kind of fits in with the notion of Ash Wednesday and acknowledging our mortality Certainly. It wasn't until centuries later that Chaucer and then later uh, Shakespeare romanticized the whole thing. And, and Chaucer's line was about how this is you know, spring when uh, on St. Valentine's Day, that's about when birds started going out looking for their mates. And then people started writing letters to each other. Then Hallmark got involved and the whole thing was a, a gong show. But I think the, the contrast today is telling You've got Valentine's Day, which, yes, I know many people are truly in love and truly selflessly devoted to each other, but from the world's point of view, the picture we have of it in pop culture, it's very much about the imperfect, fickle, faltering, often selfish human love that we have for each other, and, and it's often about uh, aspects of that love that are not... Uh, the, the best that God has for us. The focus is largely on the erotic love or romantic love, both of which fit under the, the category eros, if you're looking at the different Greek words for love, where we get the word erotic. Uh, and, and, you know, this is when I'm walking in Target and I wanted to get, uh, I needed more toothpaste. I keep toothpaste here. That's a whole other thing. And I'm going... <laughs> whole row of like weird red lacy things and I like, feel weird and I'm peering way over here and I almost hit somebody. That's what the world is focusing on anywhere you go around Valentine's Day. It's all about the eros or 
there's also, I saw on Facebook today a lot of people just saying happy Valentine's Day to family members and friends that they love. When, when you're a kid, you give everybody, boy or girl alike, a little Valentine. It's about brotherly love, which in the Greek is philia. That's the kind of love uh, that, that is often celebrated as well. But when you pull back and look at Ash Wednesday, you have to take a step back because if you zoom right in on it, you're like, yeah, it's just about uh, I'm going to die. And, and that truly is the, what the day is about, acknowledging our mortality. Uh, I'm a sinner. I deserve God's punishment. But when you look at where we're headed, Lent ahead of us, the death of Christ, the resurrection, life eternal ahead of us, the backdrop is God's love. God's agape love, which is a whole other kind of love from what we show to one another. It's a wonderfully stark contrast here. It's not based on how you make me feel. It's not based on what you can do for me or have done for me. It's based in God's own character as a God who the scriptures tell us God is love. How amazing is that? Agape love. The world's picture of, of Valentine's Day, it's self-serving, right? You got to find the one that does it for you so that you're happy. The picture in Ash Wednesday is Christ's love, self-sacrificing. And this contrast, I think, is a great reminder for us and maybe a kind of hedge to keep us from entering into Lent with the wrong mindset and the wrong heart. Let me explain what I mean. First, for many people, Valentine's Day is a requirement, whether they want it or not. These are called men. Uh, and I went to Meyer this morning, literally. Anyone at Meyer on Pennsylvania this morning? There was a box this big in it, any, dozens and dozens and dozens of bouquets of flowers. I've never seen this before in my life. Guys are walking in, and I was there at about 10 to 8, Reaching in, grabbing, not picking out the special flowers. Grabbing one, walk over here to the cards, that one will do. Walk over here, heart-shaped candy, and then the line is going. And I'm like, I just want to buy an avocado. Why do I have to stand in this line? It's required. How many sitcoms and rom-coms have there been where the plot revolves around a guy forgetting Valentine's Day or not doing a good enough job, that sort of thing, some hapless schlub having to make up for it and crawl out of the, the doghouse? And in the same way, some church traditions require Lent observance. It becomes law, and it's rested on your shoulders, and it feels like a weight. Especially the fasting at the beginning and end and, and intermittently throughout. As Baptists, we cannot do that. Nowhere in Scripture are you required to come here on this day and receive the ashes on your forehead in this way and then for 40 days to deprive yourself of something or do anything <laughs> particular that goes along with Lent. Yes, it's an ancient tradition and it's of great profit to you, but you're not required to do that. And even if we could require people to do this, force them, you cannot force devotion of the heart. You cannot force piety. And so it would be useless. What did we read there in Joel? Rend your hearts and not your garments. God, God says, I want, to, I want your heart to be broken for your sin, and I want your heart to seek me out. I could care less if you actually have the ashes. That, that's a good outward sign. 
And it's a great picture, it's a great reminder, but it, it presupposes the heart. And so Valentine's Day, it, it may be uh, required, but Ash Wednesday is not. Secondly, Valentine's Day is very important that it's on this particular day, this particular moment in the year, right? It, unless you've already worked it out in advance, a nice bouquet of roses and a nice dinner on February 16th, it isn't going to cut it, right? Hey, don't worry about it. I forgot about tonight, but I got Thursday, we're good, or next Monday or something. And no, it's, it's, you're, you're in the doghouse then as well. But, but remember that for many uh, sweethearts, they, they've had to set aside a different day. Sean and Cindy already went out to dinner, and I'm sure it was lovely. Um, you could have put a tie on. Come on, guys. It's, it's Valentine's Day, but all right, all right. You win cash. Uh, but, but even though it's got to be this day for Valentine's Day, remember that there's nothing super particularly holy about a particular time of year that will make you more able to be... Uh, uh, repenting, more able to live holy, that will give you extra points if you accomplish what you set out to accomplish and make you extra disappointing to God should you fail. We know that's not the case, that scripture tells us each day is like all the others. It doesn't make us super holy or super Christians. As Baptists rooted in the Reformation tradition, we recognize the only things we're actually commanded to deny ourselves are those things that are sinful and those good things that we deny ourselves so that our brother won't fall into sin. That's it. And, and so we don't want to bind the consciences of people and say you have to do X, Y, or Z, adding to God's word and God's law because doing that will make it a law. You keep the law, that's that. If people enter into it willingly, that's a whole other thing. Now, as far as denying, are we supposed to deny ourselves all the time? Yes, exactly. There's not a special season for go and take up your cross and follow me and, and deny yourself. You, you deny yourself on Shrove Tuesday. You don't deny yourself pancakes, hopefully, but you deny your sin nature. You deny your desire to exalt yourself. You deny your autonomy and your sense of wanting to make your own way and set your own rules. And that's got to happen throughout the year. Just like a guy who's Don Juan on February 14th and not romantic at all or even attentive or caring the other 364 days of the year, if we either feel obligated to give something up and be extra holy for 10% of the year or feel like that will score us points in God's scoreboard if we do that, this is missing the point of Lent, going back to its inception. Unless the goal is to continue to walk in holiness into the ordinary time that follows. That said, I'm not trying to talk you out of this. First of all, fasting is a very much a legitimate practice. Not just historically in the church, but in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. We find fasting again and again. And this is not denying ourselves evil, denying ourselves things that would be sin. I often hear that. What are you giving up for Lent? Oh, getting drunk. No, don't do that. Give that up forever because that's <laughs> sin. No, what, what are you giving up for Lent? Uh, there was a movie in the, in the 90s 
called 40 Days. I only saw the trailer, and I only saw it once, and yet I remember it because it made me so mad. It was uh, Josh Hartnett, who was like Mr. 90s, and when the 90s ended, he just disappeared in a cloud of <laughs> clove smoke. But he had this a conversation with a priest, and, the, and, he, and he was talking about how all of his, his uh, relationships were making him feel empty, and the priest told him, well, Lent is about to begin, and Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, so why don't you... Basically, why don't you not fornicate for 40 days? And he said, well, I'll try it. And then it seems to me like the rest of the movie was his new girlfriend trying to get him to break that vow to great comedic effect. Not what fasting is. We're not temporarily setting aside sin only to pick it up again later. Rather, permissible things, good things, we give up. Things that might distract us from better things. You remember when Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha, and Mary's sitting at his feet listening, Martha's bustling around, she's so annoyed that her sister's not helping, she's doing all this stuff, and he doesn't yell at her, he doesn't, he doesn't call her a hypocrite, he doesn't say woe to you, he just says, Martha, and you know that it's loving because he says it again, Martha, Martha, yes, it's good that she's doing this stuff. Hospitality is commanded in the New Testament. That's what she was doing. Keeping an orderly house is great. She was on top of it. Don't try to have a merry heart all the time. There's times to have a Martha heart. But Jesus is saying, in this moment, there's something better. In fact, Mary has chosen that which is better, he says. And that's what Lent is. It's us deciding this is the moment to focus on the better. And that means, for many... Setting aside things that are good and things that are permissible. To focus on the better. We think about Jesus, the story that we looked at on Sunday. Jesus with the, the woman at the well. Remember this? And we stopped short of the end of the story. When the disciples come back, they've been going to get food and they say to him, Hey, have something to eat. And his answer, does anyone remember his answer? I have food you know nothing about. And it doesn't mean that he had some corn nuts, you know, tucked away in his tunic. He's talking about spiritual sustenance. He, I have food you know nothing about. That's how Jesus could be 40 days in the wilderness fasting. He, he was getting his sustenance spiritually from the Lord. It doesn't mean that you don't need food. It means that when I don't have food, it focuses me all the more on the giver of life and how he truly gives me life. Let me read one more little passage, uh, and, and I will let you out of here uh, in short order. Uh, but Luke 5, 27 through 35, I want to read. You can turn there if you like or not. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But you eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Jesus said, we will fast. He assumed in his teaching in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, there will be fasting. When you fast, here's how to do it. He doesn't say, here's how to do it. Starting on Ash Wednesday, and then, no, but when we do fast, we want to do it in a way where we don't draw attention to ourselves, don't... Oh, oh man, my headache, I gave up coffee and now I can't. What does Jesus say about that kind of outward devotion? You've received a reward already, right? When you fast, wash your hair, put a little, little product in it, wash your face, walk out, look like you feel fine because you know what? This is about your relationship with God. It's about what God's doing, working inside of you, making you more and more into the image of his son. And so, honestly, if you ask me if you should give something up, I say, pray on it. Think about it. Well, wait, it's Ash Wednesday. That's okay. You might start Sunday. You might start next Wednesday. What matters is the heart as you go into this. It would be better for someone to to fast. And and fasting doesn't always have to be not eating food. Hopefully that's clear. Uh, In fact, in, in most of the traditions where you're required to fast on this day, uh, that's defined legalistically as one ordinary meal and two small meals that together don't equal the ordinary meal, and also uh, abstaining from certain specific foods. Um, but but in some way to deny ourselves these things that might distract us. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's uh, your your morning coffee. Maybe it's cigars. I don't know, Sean. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, but it's something. It's it's something that it's permissible. It's good, and you say, God, I'm going to take some time away from it, time with you, away from something good to focus on something better. Maybe instead of all that, Lent looks like I'm going to read more scripture. I'm going to get up a little earlier, and I'm going to read the Bible for 20 minutes before I brush my teeth and run off and and start my day. Whatever it means, the beautiful thing about being Baptist and I know I'm preaching to the choir, is that we have the same beautiful, rich tapestry and the same beautiful, rich history as the rest of the church, but our consciences aren't bound by these extra-biblical things. So we come together and encourage each other. We partake of these ancient traditions, and we do it, hopefully, out of a heart that wants to do it, rather than out of an external compulsion.